Welcome to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicle's political podcast. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer, and today my guest is former Congresswoman Katie Hill. A year ago, the Southern Californian was a rising star in the Democratic Party, an openly bisexual millennial who had flipped a longtime Republican district in her first run for office. Speaker Nancy Pelosi took her under her wing, put her in leadership positions, and some envisioned Hill one day becoming Speaker herself. Then, a conservative website published nude photos of her online. She blamed it on her estranged husband, who she said had promised many times to ruin her if she left him. He denies it, but regardless, days after the photos were out, she resigned from Congress. She's back with a new book called She Will Rise, about her rise and fall into a very dark place and her plans to rise again. It's part memoir, part manifesto, and she is dedicating her life to electing more women to office, which she says is the only way to change American politics and culture. And now, here's my conversation with Katie Hill. Katie Hill, from your home in Washington, D.C. to mine in Oakland, welcome to It's All Political. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, Before we talk about your new book, She Will Rise, I wanted to sort of just check in and see where you're at. Uh, A few days after we record this, uh, Democratic National Convention will begin, as you know. Yeah, and uh, yeah, a year ago you were you were lined up to be the, like the star of that. Convention, oh gosh, one of the most... <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> well, you you'd be a a star, a star. One of the most prominent members of the 2018 freshman class, the year of the woman, huge upset victory over Republican. You flipped the district. You had a place in the party's leadership, a favorite of the speaker, but uh, but a lot's happened. Where you what are you thinking about right now? And as the as the convention approaches. Honestly, as the convention approaches, I'm just thinking about how this is this is such a crazy year for everybody and how they're going to try and do a convention online is going to be a real challenge. And um, but, you know, personally, um, I'm really looking at just moving forward and I'm excited about the book coming out and about uh, the pack that I started her time. Um, You know, the we have a real opportunity right now to mobilize people uh, specifically, I think women uh, around, you know, the fact that we're going to have a woman as VP and that we've got these really exciting races and um, turning this into a longstanding movement is mm-hmm. to me uh, a great, you know, it, it's a great moment that I think we should, um, we should make the most of. So let's talk about the book. Um, after you resigned, you, you went to a very dark place uh, mm-hmm. and you write in very painful detail and, and, and props to you for, for, for going there. Thank you. Uh, about how you sat in the sat in your tub and began to try and cut your wrist with a paring knife. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about what what pulled you out of that place at, at that time. Yeah, you know it was, and I talk about this in the book. But the you know what really pulled me out of it was knowing that you know everything was bad enough. I'd put my family through um, so much. I'd put my my supporters through so much, and and I just I knew that if I if I checked out that, um, you know, it would be even worse. But if I, if, you know, if I, if if I had the chance to, um, to kind of try and make something of this and I felt like that was what I needed to do. Um, but it's, I think with anyone in this kind of a situation, it's, it's, uh, it's about the support that you are able to kind of recenter yourself in. And I know that I'm, I'm really fortunate for the family and friends that I have. A lot of people, mostly a lot of young women, were very upset that you resigned. Uh, I heard that from a lot of people. They point out a lot of uh, men, including our president, mm-hmm. uh, who didn't step down when accused of uh, 
of impropriety. But you you write in the book that's why you stepped down because you know you came out so strong in, in demanding that Al Franken resign and Brett Kavanaugh withdraw, and to not do so would be would be disingenuous. But given all that, do you, do you regret looking back resigning? No, I don't regret it. Um, I think it was the right thing and, and really the only thing that I could do at the time, um, given my own, you know, what I was going through personally, but also with the, in, just just with everything, right? Like just the entire thing um, kind of adding up together, it felt like the, it felt like the best option. And, and I, I didn't want to be used as a, as a weapon for, against my colleagues and against Democrats in general. And so I think, um, you know, now I can certainly look back and say, okay, if, if certain things had been different, if I'd, maybe if I'd been in Congress longer or, um, you know, I, I think we could run a million different scenarios over that, that maybe, um, the outcome would have been different, but I feel like at the time, um, it was the right thing to do. And, and I don't, I don't regret it. I think I'm trying to, to find a, a way to move forward and be effective and, um, and, you know, still make a difference even if it's not in the position that I thought it would be. How much of that do you think was because you were a woman and a young woman at the time? Well, I certainly think that it was part of it. And, and it's, it can be hard to, you know, I, I, a lot of people will say, oh, well, you know, a man in that kind of position would have had to resign too, da, 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 da. But we see that they don't. They just don't. And I don't know if it's a, if it's a sort of a greater sense of, of responsibility or if it's a, I, I don't know exactly what it is, but I also know that it was the whole thing was much more sensationalized because I was young, I was bi, and mm-hmm. I was a woman. Mm-hmm. I, and a question that I think uh, many people had after you resigned was, uh, you know, was this how much of this come from Pelosi? You write about this in the book, and I, I got to say, being the cynic that I am, <laughs> I was like, well, I, I assume that Pelosi came to you and said, "Hey, Katie, we think you're great." But we don't need any distractions now. How about, you know, taking one for the team? But you write that she that she didn't muscle you out. And as a matter of fact, she get she tried to get you to stay. What uh, what was that conversation like? You said it was very uncomfortable. She yeah, she did. She tried to get me to stay. And even after um she tried to at least convince me to stay through the year and then see if, you know, I would reconsider after that. But um it just, you know, I was in I was in the the midst of a horrible depression, this divorce, this you know, this feeling of, of letting everybody down and, and really personally not wanting to be used as this distraction during impeachment. And, um, so I didn't want, I didn't want to be putting people in the, the position of defending me. And, um, but I, it, it was, it was an honor, um, that, you know, she, that she did have my back. Um, and I think, you know, I, I just, I don't know what that would have looked like if I'd stayed in. Right. So, um, she's, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. I think it was a horrible, conver- it was a really hard conversation. It was not a horrible conversation. It was a good conversation, but it was one of the hardest conversations I've ever had to have. Cause you, you looked up to her very much. Oh she yeah. Very much took you under her wing. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, you know, I knew I'd, I'd let her down. I knew I'd let so many people down. One of the reasons you say you write the book and you started your, as you alluded to earlier, your super PAC, Her Time, is to help other young women or women of all ages actually get get elected. Uh, because as you write in the book, our politics and our culture won't change until w- more women are elected. And uh, just uh, just look at, and you know, everybody likes to think we've come a long way in the year of the woman and all that. But just look at the VP search where Democrats uh, mocked Kamala Harris because she was too ambitious, mm-hmm. where Democrats mocked her. Yep. And uh 
and uh, other other candidates in the presidential race were deemed not electable. Um, but I, I know a lot of young women in, in your generation could be in the same situation that you found yourself in. Um, um, and with an abusive spouse who continually threatened you, who was carrying a gun at the, for the last uh, few months you were together and say, I will ruin you if you left him. Yep. And you, and he did. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you say to, uh, to young women who might be in that similar situation and her hesitant to leave a relationship must much less uh, start a career in politics? Well, part of, you know, what I wrote in the book was to try and give people resources and to try and even help them recognize kind of these sorts of things that might be going on in their relationships. Um, I, for me, it took a long time to even realize what was happening and, um, and certainly to try and get out of it is it's, it's an entirely different um, situation and, and set of challenges. Um, my, you know, my advice to, to women is to, uh, <laughs> first of all, I, I mean, I, there's like so much that I'd be like, don't get into a relationship when you're 16 years old and stay with them. And don't, you know what I mean? Like, there's just so many yeah. things that if I were to pick a different point at any, at any point in my life, I could have been like, well, don't do that. But, um, but you know, with, with, for people who have images or, um, or something like that, that they might be concerned about, what I'd say is that, you know, the, the worst that could happen is what happened to me. And, um, you know, be ready for it. Know that that's a possibility, but also we need you and we need you to be strong enough that you can face it. And, um, and I think that, you know, hopefully people can take something away from what happened to me and from my resignation. And, and maybe that is the choice that, um, you know, this isn't acceptable. This isn't something that we can tolerate for, uh, for young women who are going into public life moving forward. And as you write in the book, 80% of Americans have some sort of uh, images, mm-hmm. uh, uh, texting uh, that, that might fall into that category that could be used for, as a type of cyber cyber exploration, uh, exploitation yep. or revenge porn, as it's the inaccurate term it's sort of uh, commonly known as. Yeah, exactly. What, what, can, what can young women do about that? I mean, do you... Uh, uh, you know, this stuff's out there. You know, I'm the father of two college aged yeah. daughters, and uh, you know, I, I talk about that. We talk about this all the time. What what can young women, uh, women of all ages, uh, do about this? Well, on the preventative end, I think that you know, just just really, you know, knowing who to trust, I think, is important. Um, and but I, but that's hard, right? Like the, a lot of these kinds of things are exchanged at an early stage of the relationship where you haven't even sometimes haven't even met in person yet. Um, and it's, mm-hmm. it's very difficult to know who to trust and when. And, um, you know, I think, I think part of it needs to be changing the culture that this is not something that we should be shaming people for, that this is a, a normal activity that, you know, the majority of the population, um, is it participates in and that the real problem is, uh, is, comes down to the people who are abusing it, right? And the, and we need to be shaming the abusers. We need to be um, taking down the the companies that allow that kind of thing to happen. Uh, we need to be um, holding media companies and social media companies accountable if they're per- perpetuating it or enabling it. Um, and there need to be criminal statutes so that uh, that this is known as a sexually exploitative um, crime. And uh, and right now, that's that's simply not the outlook we have. Too many people say, well, you shouldn't have taken those nudes in the first place. Um, and that's just simply not the answer. What do you think that in, in 20 years, and this is my feeling about this, I think in 20 years, people are going to look back at this and say, 
really? She, she quit over that? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, because of uh, th- this 80% of people who have this material uh, on, on, their, on their devices and such. Do you th- it's almost like, um, do, do, do you feel that, that, that some, you know, somewhere down the road, 20, 30 years, people will look at you and say like, wow, that, was, that seems weird that that happened? People probably. I, I think there's a fair amount of people who already feel that way. Um, yes, already feel that way. But the but the more widespread belief in it. I think that you know what makes my situation um, challenging is that I you know I, there's this this complicated element with having had a relationship with a staffer, and it being right in the the wake of Me Too and me having been uh, a you know a staunch defender of women and and supporter of the Me Too movement and you know having said that. Franken should re- resign and that Kavanaugh shouldn't make it to the Supreme Court. Like all of those things, I think, combined with the photos were what led to the and, and the, you know, the abusive relationship or what led to it all. Right. There's no there's no easy way to separate one from the other with my situation. But what I do hope is that, um, you know, people see the f- the flaws in what happened with mine, whether it's the double standard or the 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 exploitation um, and that we don't, that we, that we all collectively work to create an environment that that doesn't happen again to future women in politics. Um, and that's why, you know, one of the things that I want to work in. So, you know, what, what I, what I want to continue to dedicate my time to is, uh, is this effort. And, um, you know, I think that if I do that and if my story can serve as an example in a number of different ways, even, even an example that's, that's, that can be pretty strongly seen as a negative against me, then it should be. Um, and I hope people can take something from that to advance the the cause further. And, and the negative being, I think this was alluded to in the, the review of your book with the New York Times review of books the other day. And I want to give you a chance to respond to this. Uh, the reviewer said, uh, quote, her unwillingness to call her relationship with the staff or what it was an ambiguous ethical violation is all the more glaring in light of the book's premise that women in office conduct themselves better than the men who outnumber them. You know, you took responsibility in the book for that, but I don't know if you explicitly called it that. What, what is your reaction to it? I don't know where, I mean, I've called it an inappropriate relationship probably a hundred times at this point, including, you know, and when I wrote, when I did my video about it and over and over again. So I don't know when I read that, I was like, okay, if anyone wants to tell me what else I can say around this, like I'm all ears. <laughs> but um, well, you say, and you and you said it was a gray area. I think you wrote this in the book. It's a gray area, but now there's quote no space for gray areas. Yeah, what I meant by that is that there's you know there there are gray areas where there is consent and where workplace relationships happen, um, but that at the end of the day, there's there's just not you know there's not a way that we can. Um, that we can allow for that right now. And, and I recognize that. And that's why I, you know, um, among many reasons, that's one of the reasons that I decided to step down. Um, so, you know, I think that, that I still maintain that, you know, it was, it, yes, it's an, an unambiguous, um, an unambiguously problematic relationship. It's one that I should not have ever gotten into in the first place. And that, um, that, you know, I would, I would never repeat, but, and I would certainly never advise anyone else to get into this, that kind of a situation. But I also think that when I'm talking about a gray area, what I mean is that, you know, people do fall in love when they, when they don't intend to. And, um, and that the most important thing I think is, is around consent. And the conversation has to be had of like, okay, what's, 
what's possible for consent when you have power dynamics. And, you know, one of my biggest mistakes was not really recognizing the power dynamic that was in play from the very beginning, because I was, you know, when I, when I started this campaign, it felt like a bunch of friends. It didn't feel like I was in charge. It didn't feel like I was uh, the boss Mm. that was, you know, it it, it just, it never felt um, like that at all. So, you know, um, I think that, it's not to say that there's no, that there's a gray area to try and excuse anything. It's just to say that, you know, humans are complicated and these kinds of situations are going to happen. And when we decide that someone's in the wrong, which I clearly was, what is, what does redemption look like? What does it look like for that person to, to say, I'm sorry, and to, and to accept responsibility and to also have a meaningful and productive life afterwards. We'll be back with more from Katie Hill after this break. When you mentioned power dynamics, one aspect of this, and I'm, and I'm glad you got into this a little bit in the book, was um, about about your relationship with your ex-husband and and the uh, abusive part of it. Um, and there's there's an element of coer- coercion there in terms of in your sexual relationship. And I think a lot, of, of course, a lot of the uh, the uh, salacious, the most salacious stuff that came out of uh, your whole situation was about the thruple. The, 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 and and you said that's a relationship uh, that your husband uh, ex- explained how that was sort of an extension of the abusive part of your relationship and where that came from. Yeah. So, and you know, I, again, I talk about this in the book, but the um, yes, the we're, we're previewing here, Katie. We're previewing. Yeah, <laughs> um, for sure. But I so when I came out to my husband, and, and when I came out more broadly as as by. Um, I was, when was that by the way? I was 18. And so, you know, his, his initial reaction was to say basically, um, you know, to, to, to more or less be like, Oh, great. Well, you know, we're in a relationship. You're, you're, we're, we're together. If you want to be together forever, then if you want to do anything with this, then, um, we got to do it together kind of thing. And so, you know, that felt like the only way that I could actually ever, you know, explain explore my sexuality, um, beyond, eh, beyond, you know, the hetero relationship that I was in. Um, and so I think that, um, yeah, I mean, I think that that was part of it. And I think looking for different, um, just outlets, right. Of, of, you know, being in this marriage that, that you felt was terrible, but that you felt like you couldn't get out of, um, you, you end up sort of finding, um, other ways of, of trying to cope with that and that aren't necessarily helpful or healthy. And then let's talk about redemption. You, you alluded to that. I had Kristen Gillibrand in the podcast a a couple of times, but it was shortly before she, she stepped out of the race. Mm -hmm. And uh, we talked about what redemption looks like to her. I want to hear what it looks like to you, to you in a general sense and to you personally. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's actually a really good question because I don't know that I have the answer Um, for me you know, it means that you have, for me personally, it means that you are able to forgive yourself, that you sought forgiveness from the people that you've impacted and that you are, um, that you're, that you're doing something that is moving forward. That is, that is going to have a positive impact. And that is, um, that is about doing, doing good. And even, you know, trying to mitigate whatever damage you have done. Um, so, you know, I think, and I think that, that would, that's what I would want to see from anyone else that um, has made a mistake or has been in a, in a 
in, in a similar situation. And I, I just think that it's very rare, honestly, that we see men take accountability for it. And in, instead of just denying it or, or, um, or yes, anding, um, that they say, okay, this is, you know, I, I shouldn't have done that. I accept responsibility for it. I like in my case, step down, um, and I'm trying to rebuild. So I think, you know, um, yeah, I'm interested in, I actually had an interesting conversation shortly after I resigned. Um, eh, maybe a little bit after that, but I, I talked with, uh, Kristen Gillibrand and, um, you know, we had some conversation around redemption, but I'm, I'm curious what, you know, what the, the, the crux of it was <laughs> when you spoke to her. She said what she said. I, she's a, uh, she went in her religious, she was raised Catholic. I think she's more non-denominational Christian, I think now. Uh, but she, she believes in it's sort of the spiritual, she's rooted in the spiritual side of redemption. And she, she, and that's what she said. She says, oh, I, I believe that there is a path. And, and I, you know, as because of my faith training and background, I believe there is a path to resent to redemption. Um, is that any, do you share anything along those lines with her? Yeah. I mean, my, I, you know, I'm not coming at it from the, the strictly religious sense, but I think that it is, um, you know, there's a self reconciliation component of it, whether you think that's with a higher power or with, whether it's with your own conscience, mm -hmm. um, and how you come to terms with that and what you feel like you need to do, uh, in order to come to terms with it is it, it's a deeply personal thing. Um, and, and I don't think that's, you know, I think whatever faith you have, that's, that's probably the case. And, and it's certainly the case with me. Um, one ad that your, your husband, of course, says that the ex-husband says that, uh, his phone was hacked and et cetera, et cetera. Um, what are your, give us an update on sort of your next moves legally are here. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I'm still not technically divorced from my husband because he won't oh. sign. Um, so I, I have had a, uh, a, a date on the books, um, with, with the court in California um, back in May, there was one, but then it got postponed because of COVID uh, to July, and then it got postponed again till October. So, you know, it would be great to actually be divorced. Um, but on top of that, we've got this, you know, we've got this pending lawsuit against Red State and the Daily Mail and on the civil side. And um, so we've been working with the lawyers on the right timing for that. The hope originally, at least, was to, uh, was, was in fact to, um, to, have the divorce finalized first, but now it's looking like that may not be possible. So, um, you know, in the coming, in the coming months we plan on filing and, um, I don't think that's going to be a surprise to, to anyone. And, um, I wanted to, to talk to you a little bit about the, uh, little, little, do a little punditry here, uh, since, you know, you're still in the political game. <laughs> um, as, uh, since your, your friend's advice there, uh, said you ran the most millennial candidate campaign ever, uh, <laughs> Joe Biden has, uh, having some problems with millennials. They think he's uh, an old white guy that they're not really interested in. Um, what, what can he do to, to get young people excited about him or is, uh, how would you approach that? If you were, if you were campaigning for Joe Biden as, uh, as you know, as you, a millennial, 30, 30 going to be 32 in a couple I'm of weeks. 30, right? Yeah. I'll be 33 in a couple, 33 weeks. in a couple of weeks. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and it's, I wonder how much of this is, me just having become more and more of a realist, I don't, I don't feel like you have to be excited about every politician, especially right now. Like, come on, it's 
we're against Trump. This is a no brainer. This is the, the most important thing here is that we need to beat Donald Trump and, you know, everything else that we want to be fighting for, whether it's a new generation of politics uh, or of politicians or, um, you know, these far more progressive policies, those don't happen based on who's president. Those happen by, you know, based on who we elect in Congress. And I think we're seeing this really progressive turnover that's happening and you're going to see more and more of that. Um, that to me is if, if I'm giving advice to millennials, just suck it up and, and vote. Don't be dumb about this and then work on the, on the, um, the campaign, you know, work on trying to elect people that really do reflect who you want in office. Um, and that doesn't start at the white house. It just doesn't, it starts much further down. So if people, if people were able to redirect their energy into, um, paying attention to these races that where they can actually have that kind of an impact, then you're going to have the turnover, um, that needs to happen. And then sure enough, the next time we've got someone running for office or someone running for president, then it'll be that much harder for, um, it to be the, the, the older white guy that wins. Um, and I think that to, to Joe's credit, he really is going to be uplifting voices that, you know, are not, that are, are not like his own, right? They're, they're, I think that he's going to be, um, his cabinet is, there's a huge opportunity there too. And, and everyone that he appoints kind of at every, every single level, um, where fresh voices and faces can come. And you know, that that cannot happen and that will not happen if you have Donald Trump in office. And um, I think that that's where the, the I, I just, I don't want to hear it about him not being exciting. Like, that's just not the point right now. Get excited about somebody else. I think you may have come up with a bumper sticker for the Biden campaign, suck, up, suck it up and vote. I mean, I don't even, like, I, like for me personally, <laughs> it's not even sucking it up and voting. Like, I'm, I'm excited yeah. to vote for him. I like, you know, I think, right, that, right. But, but I think oh, that if you yeah. don't, you know, honestly, if you aren't excited about it, I don't care. You know, that's just, (laughs) you don't have to be excited about it. Do the right thing. So, um, look at looking down ballot, uh, in your old uh, seat there. Um, are you going to be doing anything for Christy Smith or do you think it's best to just stay, stay back off that one? Um, I don't know that I'm help. I I'm necessarily helpful in a particularly visible way, but, um, and, and I don't, I can't really talk about the other things that I'm doing around it, but know that I'm doing everything in my power to help make sure that, Democrats get that seat again. So you're playing a behind the scenes role. Yeah. <laughs> All right. One more. It's Katie, it's 2024, the Democratic Convention. Let's look ahead here. The Democratic Convention is in the new swing state of Georgia. What <laughs> <That's cool. laughs> yeah. What is your role, if any, at that convention? Oh, interesting. You know, probably um I would be out. If it's a physical in-person one, I'm thinking my oh, pack. Oh, God, I hope so. <laughs> I'm thinking my pack will be involved in and will be, you know, contributing money. <laughs> so I'll probably have a table there. <laughs> okay. Katie L., thank you so much for taking uh, some time to be on It's All Political. Thank you. Good to talk to you. I'd like to thank you all for listening today and hope that your family is safe and healthy. I'd like to thank Katie for being a guest on the podcast today. Her book is called She Will Rise and is available wherever you obtain books. I'd like to thank the King, King Kaufman, for producing today's episode. And a shout out to our fabulous theme music, by the way, which is Cattle Call, written by Randy Clark and performed by Randy Clark and Crow Song. And remember, no matter whether you're rising or falling, it's all political. It's all political.